This evening we're going to consider the spirit that helps us in our infirmities. We're looking at Romans chapter 8 verses 24 through to 27. Reading from verse 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Apostle Paul had been talking about the whole of creation being subject to futility and groaning as a woman with labour pains as it waits for the manifestation or the revealing of the sons of God. That's Christians. When Christians receive their glorious bodies, when every unbelieving person that ever was sees these Christians, these people who trusted in the Lord Jesus um, being taken to be with Jesus forevermore. The conclusion of all things, the fulfilment of everything. When that happens, creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. That all points forward to when the Lord Jesus Christ shall come again and the salvation of Christians will reach its conclusion where not only will they have redeemed souls with no trace whatsoever of sin, but also Jesus will change their vile bodies that they may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. As for the creation, the heavens and the earth shall be burned up and dissolved and there will be new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. That is the great and certain hope of all you who are Christians. However, for now you say, O wretched man or woman that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Whilst at the same time you thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is your righteousness. Therefore, not only do Christians have a a saving faith in Jesus, whereby they trust in him for the forgiveness of all their sins, but also with their God-given faith in Jesus, there is hope of a final deliverance at the second coming of Jesus. And that brings us to Romans chapter 8 and verse 24, where Paul said, For we are saved by hope, But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? That can be equally translated, for we are saved in hope. 
not by hope, but in hope, which is more appropriate when you consider that we are saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The hope spoken of in verse 24 looks to a future event. It is the certain expectation that people who are trusting in Jesus have of receiving redeemed bodies which will be incorruptible and imperishable. Hope looks ahead, looks to the future. You don't hope for something that's happening right now or has happened. It doesn't make sense. It is when you have a hope that looks ahead to a final deliverance from every trace of sin that you can echo the words of the Apostle Paul who said, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You say that when you've got a hope that takes you, a hope that reaches up to heaven and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet all too often Christians seem to live as if they have no hope beyond this present age. And for that reason, I believe, Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians that their eyes, the eyes of their understanding to be enlightened, that they may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The hope that looks forward to the manifestation of the sons of God is a hope that is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We'll have a look at verse 25. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Since hope looks to a future event, such as the glorification of Christians at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not something that can be seen, at least not for the time being. The blessed person who lives with a hope of that magnitude and that certainty is someone who for now endures tribulation and suffering for Christ's sake and he does so with patience. This is something that Paul has already talked about in chapter 5 verses 3 and 4 where he said, and not only so, but we glory or we joy in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience, or in other words, proof that your faith is genuine. When you go through tribulations patiently, that in itself is evidence that you have a genuine faith in Jesus. And with that experience, there is hope. Verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
When you think of the assurances that you have as people who are in Christ Jesus and walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, you have the absolute assurance from your Lord and Saviour that he has ascended to his Father and to your Father. Jesus has said, in my Father's house are many mansions, I go to prepare a place for you. No doubt many mansions means that there are enough mansions for all the children of God. Jesus has said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. As for what we've already looked at in verse 23 concerning the redemption of our body, Allow me to say again that when the King of Glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes again, our vile bodies will be made incorruptible, imperishable and fashioned like unto his glorious body. We will receive from our great God and Saviour and heavenly inheritance, the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness and where the tabernacle of God is with his redeemed. All these assurances are ours, dear Christian. However, you know as well as I do that despite having been saved from all our sins, not just some, but all our sins, past, present and future sins, and despite having a hope of inexplicably great things to come, we nevertheless need to be kept by God every moment of every day in order for us to endure with patience. We don't kid ourselves that we can do it on our own, endure with patience through tribulations. For one thing, the devil, who is a liar and a murderer, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, I would think that when he's walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, he's looking at the church. Because the unbeliever is doing the lusts of his father, the devil, anyway. So, he's watching you, who belong to Jesus. Also, the enemies of Christ... That is, the unbelieving world that does the lusts of its father, the devil. The world can be cunning, fearsome and far stronger than the sons of God. Far stronger than us who belong to Jesus. As well as Christians having the devil and an ungodly world to contend with, they also have an ongoing battle with sin, despite sin no longer having dominion over them. Which one of you, dear Christians, does not have an ongoing battle with sin, with the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh? Also, it's very easy to to become consumed by the cares of this world and to be lured away by earthly treasures. 
We all need to be protected from those things. If despite everything that would seek to derail and wreck your walk with Jesus, you are nevertheless someone who is patiently looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and you are patiently looking forward to taking up your residence in your heavenly mansion, clothed in a glorious body, then that ought to tell you that you are being kept by God. The fact is that you have an intercessor in heaven and you also have an intercessor who dwells within you to ensure that you do not fall. The intercessor in heaven is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He ever liveth to make intercession for you. Jesus prays that you will be kept from the evil and he declares his will to his Father that you, when you die, you go to be with him where he is in heaven to behold his glory. The intercessor who dwells within you is God, the Holy Spirit, As can be seen in verse 26, he helpeth our infirmities or our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit maketh intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered. The weaknesses or infirmities that we have are the very opposite of what we are supposed to be doing. We do not suffer for Christ's sake as we should. We do not always wait with patience for the redemption of our bodies, as we should. And as can be seen in verse 26, even though praying to God ought to come naturally to a child of God, the fact is that we do not pray as we ought. Instead of praising God for who he is, instead of thanking him for his tender mercies, and his loving kindness, instead of presenting prayer requests that exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and magnify God, all too often our prayers are not what they should be. Let's face it, it's not for nothing that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And if ever I want to pray a prayer that I know is a God-honouring prayer, I pray the Lord's Prayer. And it just so happens I pray that prayer just about every day. Note in verse 26 that the Apostle Paul even included himself as someone who did not know what he should pray. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we No, not what we should pray for as we ought, says Paul. Even though Paul prayed so fervently as he poured out his heart in intercessory prayers for the churches, as can be seen in so many of his epistles. Despite all of Paul's godly prayers, there is nevertheless an example in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 of Paul not praying as he ought, 
we could have a look at that perhaps. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul says in verse 3, And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. He was caught up to heaven, no less. Of such an one will I glory, Yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Just let's Let's just remember here. Paul, that man Paul, taken up to heaven and he says, lest I should be exalted above measure to stop him from becoming proud and boastful through what he's seen and what that the revelations that he was given there. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. God gave him that thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, and which he calls a messenger of Satan, to stop him from getting proud. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. He didn't want that thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, and so he prayed to Jesus to remove it, to remove that thorn in the flesh. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is Paul who asked for that thorn in the flesh, that messenger messenger of Satan to be removed. And then he ends up saying, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong, strong in the strength of the Lord, drawing on his grace, which is sufficient. But there you have Paul We'd all do the same, no, no doubt. You've got whatever it is, you don't like it, you don't want it, please remove it from me, God. And yet it's given to you for your own good and for the glory of God. Since our prayers are most certainly not what they ought to be, of necessity the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I'm back in verse 26 of Romans chapter 8. Q 
Curiously, there are people who point to verse 26 in order to justify their incoherent babbling when they are supposedly praying. What seems to be overlooked by those people is that the groanings cannot be uttered. That's what it says in the verse, groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, the groanings are not some kind of audible and unintelligible language They are silent. It can be seen in verse 26 that the groanings are unspoken and that they are the consequence of the Holy Spirit helping us to pray as we ought to. But who is doing the groaning according to that verse? Who is doing the groaning? Is it us or is it God the Holy Spirit? Well, To answer that, we could look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6, where Paul wrote about about God sending forth the Holy Spirit into the hearts of the sons of God, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit sent into the hearts of the sons of God, crying, Abba, Father. Who is crying, Abba, Father? God the Holy Spirit or the sons of God? It's reasonable to say, I would think, that the Holy Spirit induces the sons of God to cry, Abba, Father. It's with the enabling of the Holy Spirit that the sons of God cry, Abba, Father, something that an unregenerate person would not willingly do. And then there's Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, which tells us much the same thing that we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Again, that is with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, who indwells us. We cry, Abba, Father, with his enabling. Applying that to verse 26, when we pray, the Holy Spirit helps us and he intercedes for us in that he causes us to pray in a proper manner with groanings that never even reach our lips. Silent groanings locked away in the heart. Is that not the experience of all of us who are sons and daughters of God? I'm aware that much of the time my own prayers are not what they ought to be. I'm aware of how repetitive my prayers are and how selfish my prayers can be. However, I'm also aware that there are nevertheless times when the Holy Spirit is making intercession for me with groanings that cannot be uttered. Such as when I'm at my wit's end because of my sin and with a godly sorrow and a broken heart, I silently confess my sins to my Heavenly Father. Is that, is that not the Holy Spirit interceding in me? Again, an unregenerate person would not do those things. An unregenerate person would not have contrition, a broken and contrite heart. An unregenerate person would not confess his sins to God silently. Silent prayer where they can't even open their mouths and they just feel so ashamed that they have sinned against the God of their salvation. 
Unregenerate people don't do that. Christians do. With groanings that cannot be uttered. And when tribulations come my way and none but God in heaven can hear my prayer for grace to endure the trials and to glorify him. Is that not also the Holy Spirit interceding in me with groanings that cannot be uttered? Again, the unregenerate person, when trials come their way, would they seek to glorify God in those trials? Would any of us, if it were not for the Holy Spirit, making intercession for us? As we close, let us again consider the Christian hope. It is a hope that extends beyond death, beyond the grave, to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the age. It is a hope that has been made certain by Jesus, who having fulfilled the law's demands in life and in death, is coming again. When that great event happens, whether the Christians are dead in their graves or are still alive, their bodies will be redeemed. And the greatest of all hopes will have been fulfilled. As Paul said, And I read it earlier, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through to 55, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? This is Paul mocking death here in these words. O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing in this sin-sick world can extinguish that hope. It is a hope that belongs to none but those who have trusted in Jesus as repentant sinners and believed on his name. And by the grace of God, may that be each one of us in here. Amen.